has a very disturbing obsession. What obsession? Death. Just thinking about your brother. You didn't have the chance to bury him. Just wish I could catch who took his body. Death is the disease that broke my family. I'm sick of seeing it. running around here calling you some type of mad scientist. Can I hang out with my friend? What friend? Chris. Where did you see him? He talks to me. Everybody and welcome to this episode of Fresh Cuts. This is Mike joining me as always. It's Mr. Venom. What's up, Venom? Greetings and salutations, readers of the Human Prometheus. Yeah, I'm doing pretty well, Mike. How you doing? Pretty good. Another another Monday down, and it's time to uh, talk another horror movie. So at least at that level, I'm I'm doing well. Uh, also joining us, it's Don and Ellie. What's up, Don? Hey, what's going on? Always happy to be here. Cool. All right, so this week we are covering a movie that just recently hit VOD. I I believe it was originally released on the Voodoo service, which I don't know if they're owned by another company that would put it in different places, but I know for sure it it has been available on Voodoo for a couple weeks, and that would be The Angry Black Girl and Her Monster. If uh, that title kind (laughs) of strikes you as like, whoa, okay, that's an aggressive title, yeah, I mean, you'll you'll understand it with the setup of the movie, I guess. So let me take the synopsis off IMDb. Uh, Vicaria is a brilliant teenager who believes death is a disease that can be cured. After the brutal murder of her brother, she embarks on a dangerous journey to bring him back to life. All right. With that synopsis, it kind of brings other 
movies to mind, and maybe there's bits and pieces of those bits and pieces of those elements of other movies in here, but does that make for a good movie? Let's find out. We'll start our general thoughts with Mr. Venom. What did you think of the angry girl and her monster? Oh, this was an interesting movie. Like, I feel like what they did in the film was really well done. I just feel like it needed more. Um, my biggest complaint about this movie is going to be the fact that it's kind of it's it's advertised as like a Frankenstein style monster uh, movie. Excuse me, monster movie. But when you actually watch it, the the whole Frankenstein quote unquote elements of it are almost secondary. Like, it, it almost seems like the message of this movie is that the real horror is drug addiction and gang violence, which, you know, legitimately it is. I mean, this this movie is definitely, you know, kind of a, I wouldn't go so far as to say character study, but definitely a case study of someone trying to live their best life, you know, while living in the ghetto or the housing projects or whatever you want to go with. So... Overall, I did enjoy the film. Uh, there's some really good performances here. I think our lead, um, Vicaria, played by Leia de Leon Hayes, uh, did a great job. Uh, you know, she's equal parts intelligent, but still very fascinated with things that she doesn't quite understand. I did have some issues with her character, which I'll go over, you know, later on in our walkthrough. But for the most part, I liked her. Um, her performance, or, or her, her, um, relationship with a lot of the characters in the movie be they friends family or enemies i thought were very organic and believable um it's interesting that they call this movie the angry black girl because i mean yeah she's angry because of her lot in life and some of the things that have happened to members of her family but it seems like there's other characters in this movie that are way angrier than her like kango and jamal are literally endlessly angry they feel like they're just 24 7 angry um, and like I said, I, I'm not necessarily complaining that this is more of a gritty, you know, life on the street type film as opposed to a straight up, you know, gory horror film. You know, there is still horror here. Don't get me wrong. There's body snatching. There's, you know, experimentation. Granted, maybe not to the levels that most genre fans would like to see, but still fairly enjoyable. Like, I, you know, I... I don't really have a lot of negative things to say about the movie. The score is good. Uh, the cinematography is serviceable. Uh, it's good direction. You know, some, you know, good editing. Uh, as I said, the performances pretty much top to bottom are all great. I thought her dad was awesome. I thought Vakaria's dad was a really, really, I mean, the first time we meet him is at school when he's been called in for a parent teacher conference and his reply is very not what you would expect from a dad who just got dragged out of his job to go to a parent teacher conference at school. So instantly, you know, you, you kind of warm up to him and see that, you know, ultimately Vicaria is his last child left, you know, uh, his last family, a direct family anyway, left. So he's trying to do his part to make sure that her life is as good as possible, working two jobs, trying to make sure that she's staying out of trouble with drugs and everything else despite his own addiction that he's battling throughout the film, which, you know, might taint your opinion of him, but ultimately, you know, addiction is a very human thing. It, you know, it, it's not just drug addiction. There's all sorts of addictions that we all fall uh, victim to. So, you know, like I said, he's a likable character who's a little flawed. But overall, you know, this is an enjoyable film. I, I'm not going to – I can't imagine it's going to be in my top ten. It's not currently – 
Um, some, like I said, some good performances, um, a, a pretty good story. Interesting the way that they actually utilize the human Prometheus in the in this story. It's almost like um, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein doesn't exist in this universe, and she's actually writing the human Prometheus because when they show it in the movie, it's a notebook that she's actually writing in. You know, it's not the novel by Mary Shelley. So it's, it's kind of interesting that they're going about it at that angle. Um, but overall, yeah, I just really wish there was a little bit more horror set pieces in here, a little bit more horror action. Um, the body count is pretty low in this movie. Honestly, the body count in this movie is higher for the human characters, the gang members. You know, I mean, they're going around shooting and killing people you know, bashing the head of, of cops and whatnot, whereas our monster, our quote-unquote monster, you know, really doesn't have that high a body count in the film. So, yeah, it, I, I just wish that there was a little bit more horror to be had here. But overall, still an enjoyable film worth watching. I'll leave it at that for now. All right, let's go over to Dawn. Uh, what were your general thoughts on this one? Yeah, um, I, I'm kind of right where Venom is with this one. Um, not really uh, as horror-based as I would want it to be. Uh, I, I, I do like the setup. I do think it's fun. Um, I, we're not necessarily like, you know, this isn't really a fun party movie, but more just like it, it fun enough for what it what what it's trying to do, trying to show, you know, her lot in life, all the, you know, various mishaps that occur growing up and, you know, the life that she leaves and, you know, trying to use this as a means of getting out of it. All of that is fine enough for what it is, but yeah, just, I I felt myself kind of just losing interest with this when the longer it goes on, realizing it was more of an urban horror film about her, you know, fantasy drama kind of a feel about how her life is trying to screw her over and, you know, all the various little tangents that arrive from, growing up in that, that kind of an environment and it just kind of left me just not really that invested in what was happening um, probably by about like the half hour mark and it really wasn't about you know her being a Dr. Frankenstein trying to you know bring this thing back to life because it's already alive by that point I mean it, you know it's not about whether or not she can bring it back to life it's you know she's already done it the thing is up and about and it's already you know a it's attacked others, so there's already the idea that the thing's out there, but yeah, other than that, it never really invested, uh, it never really brought me in, it never really did much for me. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to try not to spoil it, but I mean, it, it's not bad by any means, I mean, you know, I'll, it, it looks great, there's great performances, you know, she does a great job as a, you know, this teenage rebel that's you know, fighting for what she fighting for what she wants and, you know, trying to escape her lot in life. But, yeah, just it, it wasn't as horror as I wanted it to be. It wasn't as, you know, horrific or macabre as I wanted it to be. And, yeah, the, the human lot, the human villains in this are far more menacing than what the actual creature is, which I wasn't interested in. And, yeah, it's just another film about grief and trauma and trying to overcome that. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I just was given up as the film was going on, but yeah, it's still watchable, I think, by what you would constitute good filmmaking, but overall, yeah, just not a horror, you know, 
it overplayed genre tropes that I'm just really losing interest in. Just kind of undid this one for me, and I, yeah, it just the longer it went on, the less interested I was in it. So yeah, that's pretty much it for me. All right. Um, what is this? Two. I know it's at least two weeks in a row, maybe three weeks in a row that I I kind of feel similar. I I, I think it was a. I would still call it good, but it had the potential to be better. I, I thought it was hopefully building towards something a little more grand than we ended up getting. Uh, I thought the horror was sprinkled into the story. Uh, we had bits and pieces throughout the movie, but we never really had like a culmination uh, of anything in the third act. Um, obviously, you know, this, this movie probably reminds people of similar stuff. I think Venom already referenced Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Um, I was thinking almost like a little bit of May, a little bit of Reanimator, a little bit of uh, Excision even, just because of a lot of the way she's thinking and approaching about things. But um, I, I think the movie, it touches on a lot of things, but it, it feels like it holds back from really going for it at certain moments. Uh, I thought there was some really good gore in like the aftermath of a kill, but we didn't. But the kill itself was off screen. That was a little disappointing um, because earlier in the in the movie when we first get the monster, they show like a near death take take place. So I, I figured, okay, from that point on, we're gonna get some more carnage. But I don't know. They kind of dial it back, and maybe that's just because of the style of movie they were making. They didn't want that to overshadow. Uh, the other elements, but hey, if you're making a movie that's labeled horror, um, I, I would hope at one point in the movie you do dial it up. But but with that said, you know, as a movie itself, I still did enjoy it. I like the the kind of story, the subtext of of um, why, like in her situation, I understand like why she would kind of have the attitude of death and see death as or death itself as a disease that she's trying to cure because she, she's growing up around a lot of senseless death. So she's trying to come up with a solution, I, I, you know, I, as far as, like, the mind of a, what, a teenager, a younger teenager, she seems um, the best they could probably um, compartmentalize that in her head. So I did appreciate the, the setup, the setting. Um, I like, you know, the different characters she interacts with kind of like the journey she takes to the movie but i agree i just wish the horror elements were ramped up a little bit more um but i thought everyone did a good job and uh yeah i i agree uh, it's probably not going to be like a top 10 type movie but i could see it maybe getting an honorable mention it just depends what else we get the rest of the year um it, it's definitely the type of movie that i do i would like to see like what's next from the writer or director, um, because I think this is like this type of movie is definitely something off of for the future to see like what they have next, what's what ideas are spinning in their head for future horror movies if they decide to stick with the genre. But yeah, I I, I just kind of stick with like kind of like that good like a six six point five kind of like what two thousand twenty three has been uh, for most of the year, at least in my opinion. Uh, it's just kind of that. That's just must be the theme of this year, I guess. Outside of like a few movies, but uh, yeah, I'll leave, I guess I can leave it at that for general thoughts. Um, uh, 
Denim, I'll, I'll throw it back to you if you want to add some more. Another movie that this one reminded me of was Pet Cemetery. Did anybody get Pet Cemetery vibes in the third act? Kind of. Kind of, yeah. Right. Yeah, she makes a decision right at the end of the movie that's very Lewis Creed. I mean, it's almost carbon copy what Lewis Creed, even right down to the dialogue even at, at times. So, you know, that, there's obviously a lot of homages in this movie. Obviously, mm-hmm. stuff like Frankenstein and May, Depraved, movies like that are going to be more uh, the obvious ones. But, that, yeah, if you, if you dig deeper, yeah, there's going to be a lot more homages that, that especially hardcore horror fans that have been in the genre for multiple decades are going to recognize. So, you know, and that's not that's not always I, a bad thing. Like, I, I don't mind that I, the movie reminded me of Pet Cemetery. <laughs> I was wondering if, like, the fact that she – this isn't really a spoiler because it doesn't matter for the story. That's the only reason I'm saying it right now is that the fact that she hooked up that Ken doll, I was like, is that a homage to Weird Science? Because in this movie, <laughs> I didn't see what the I didn't see what the function of the doll was. Where in Weird Science, she, they hook up the doll because it. I guess we're supposed to believe in Weird Science. It the doll kind of turned into Lisa, but in this one, I was like, what's the actual function of hooking up the Ken doll? So maybe that was just like a homage. <laughs> it must have been, yeah, because there's no actual function that it could possibly serve i mean it's not like she could test the uh the flow of electricity through a dead body using a, a doll it's not like the doll yeah. come back to life at least not in this universe the doll's not going to come to life so uh it, yeah I, I think it was just a visual cue more than anything that or she was just trying to figure out where to put the contacts like with the diodes and whatnot you know where mm-hmm. where exactly she was going to put them again i don't know how the doll helps other than aesthetically but functionally, yeah, it serves no purpose. <laughs> and, you know, I saw the doll there on the desk with the diodes connected to it, and I'm like, huh, that's interesting. I, I just kind of let it go. <laughs> yeah, like it didn't, it didn't bug me, but it just made me think, was that purposely just like a homage cue that we're getting there? Yeah. One and then I thought, I was of, like, oh, man, maybe I, I was like, maybe I missed something, and that's why the doll is hooked up, but apparently not. Yeah. <laughs> One thing that really bothered me, bothered me about Vicaria's um, character, V, I'm just going to call her V for the rest of the episode, um, was the fact that she was endlessly intelligent when it came to death and the human body and things like that, but she was an absolute idiot when it came to thinking ahead, like having forethought. Like, what did she think was going to happen when she brought her monster back to life? She was so poorly prepared for that that it bothered me. It's like – and that's why I think this is a world that doesn't have Mary Shelley in it. Because, like I said, it seems like she was just learning everything, you know, as she went. I mean, even even the realization of using the electricity, that didn't come from a book that she read. It came from watching uh, some paramedics using uh, a defibrillator on, on someone. And seeing that when they would give them an electrical charge, they would come back to life briefly, but then kind of fall back into unconsciousness. That's how she got the idea to use the electricity. So it, it just, like I said, it, I feel like this girl is, is it, as far as a scientific mind goes, she's a genius. But when it comes to just real world, even the whole thing with Kango, like taking the drugs, it's like, what the fuck are you thinking about you're taking an entire bag of drugs that belongs to the biggest drug dealer most ruthless motherfucker in your neighborhood and you don't think they're going to come after you i mean are you stupid 
I don't know. That just that, that whole I understand her point. I understand her mentality. You know, because her brother died during a drug deal gone bad, because her father is now showing signs of drug addiction, everything else. But like I said, she has no forethought. She's not thinking ahead. Like, you know, she comes up with the idea, but then she doesn't think about what I'm going to do after I execute that part of the idea. She did it with the bag of drugs. She did it with, you know, the reanimation of the body. Just, you know, very short-sighted, which bothers me. Because, like I said, she comes off as brilliant otherwise. But then, you know, but then she is a teenager, and that's the thing that I kind of have to accept. Is even though, yes, she's absolutely brilliant, she's still a teenager, and she hasn't really lived that long of a life yet. She doesn't have that life experience of, you know, oh, Kango's going to put a bullet in my brain if they find out I took a bag of drugs from them. You know what I mean? So so there's kind of that stuff that, ha- that you have to kind of get through, some of the poor decision-making, the fact that she goes back to her lab right after leaving Kango's one night. I'm, I'm like, are you fucking stupid? Do you honestly not think he's following you? He still thinks you have his drugs. And you're going to leave his house and then go straight to where you got Chris. Now, come on now. Yeah, this is what I mean. It, it, there's a little bit of suspension of disbelief here when it comes to V's, um, you know, kind of street smarts, if you will. But ultimately, like I said, I do have to accept that she is a teenager. She's in high school. Um, even though she's a brilliant teenager, she's still a teenager. So I guess, you know, I guess I answered my own question, <laughs> sadly. <laughs> Um, but yeah, man, I, I felt like Kango and Jamal are like the true villains of this movie, you know? I mean, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a true Frank, Frankenstein story, obviously we'll take the original as the example. It's Dr. Frankenstein who's the antagonist. He is the villain. The monster is not the villain. The monster is the victim. He's the victim of, you know, Dr. Frankenstein's, you know, overzealousness and his God complex and everything else. In this one, they don't play it that way. Like, um, the monster, I I can't tell if the monster is an antagonist or or a protagonist. It's almost like it doesn't matter. And then V doesn't come off as, like, a selfish, um, you know, mad scientist the way that, you know, some of the the Dr. Frankensteins from the past come off as. So I wasn't 100% sure what they were going for with her kind of personality. You know, like I said, equal parts brilliant and empty-headed all at the same time. It's kind of odd. But still, I mean, a pretty good character nonetheless. Like, I didn't hate her, not by any stretch. I hated some of the decisions that she made. I hated the fact that she didn't have very much forethought. But ultimately, she's still a likable character. And and ultimately, this whole movie's filled with likable characters. I mean, her father, her her sister-in-law, her aunt, um, her little cousin Jada, like everybody is somewhat likable. Even though I will say Jada was sometimes a little overly cryptic for a girl that young. There were I, I don't know if you guys felt that way, especially when she was talking to to V about having seen Chris, and she's being way too cryptic for what a ten or eleven year old. Like you know, I I understand that kids can be evil geniuses, but. Yeah, that that was a little bit over the top. And then her mad scientist laugh did kind of make me chuckle. Uh, V's mad scientist laugh. Because, yes, she actually does do the mad scientist laugh while she's sewing up her, her creature. And I don't know, like I said, I don't know if that was her just being hammy. But, again, since I don't think Mary Shelley's Frankenstein exists in this world, 
what is she being hammy about? It doesn't really make a lot of sense. So, yeah, like I said, there, there's little parts of the movie that are going to leave you scratching your head. I, I think overall most people enjoy it. I, you know, like I said, I don't know that it's going to be anybody's favorite movie necessarily, but, uh, you know, I'll take this over the blackening anyway. <laughs> I, I wish I'd have watched this on Juneteenth. That would have made more sense. <laughs> All right. Anything? You guys got anything else to add before we go into the walkthrough? Um, I'm trying to think. I don't think so. I mean, I agree the character is pretty hardened for her age. I know they're trying to say, you know, because of the environment she's grown up in, and um, but yeah, I I, I mean, I, I pretty much agree with everything you said. <laughs> so, I guess that adds nothing. But hey, I just thought I'd say I agree. <laughs> No, no, hey, that's valid. All right, well, let's get into it. Not going to be much of a walkthrough. I just watched it once, the one time last night, and uh, pretty much I think I got the gist of it. But anyway, our our movie opens up, and uh, it's a voiceover from Vicaria. Um, She's talking, and she's basically talking about some of the rough patches that she's had in her life, starting with the death of her mother. Uh, Basically, her mother was uh, hit by a stray bullet in the park one day, literally middle of the daytime, sitting on a park bench with V, you know, watching V and her brother Chris playing in the playground, and literally a stray bullet goes right through her forehead and takes her out. Um, So that's like the first tragedy of her life. And then, of course, her brother, her older brother Chris, ends up, of course, getting involved with Kango, the main drug dealer in this area, starts working for him, you know, once he quits school, once he drops out of school, and promptly gets killed, you know, one night when Kango, Kango basically sends him to kill uh, some rival gang members, uh, but instead they get the jump on Chris and they're able to kill him, so he then ends up getting killed, so, you know, basically, and and she continues her story also by, um, talking about her father and how much she loves her father, but about how bad she feels for him. Cause you know, in less, in the span of a few years, you know, he lost his wife, he lost his son. And now he himself is developing a drug addiction. We see multiple times in the movie, there'll be a crack pipe, the little glass pipe, you know, um, she'll find it like she found one in the garbage at another point. She found a bag of crack in her father's bedroom, blah, blah, blah. So, um, so yeah, so, you know, her, her life is shit basically is, is the point of the intro of this movie. Um, but what ends up happening is the night of Chris's murder, she ends up taking the body. I, I'm not sure, like, I, I think they do say that it's only been a couple of months since Chris has been shot, uh, when the movie starts, but yeah, basically the night that Chris is shot, she snags the body. She basically drags it out of there. She ends up taking it to an empty unit, uh, an empty storage unit in in her facility that's next to an abandoned apartment, so she figures it's a safe area. And that's where she does all her Frankensteining, if you will. Yes, Frankenstein is now a verb. So, yeah, she's doing all her Frankensteining in this uh, little area. Um, We don't really see – that's the thing, too. That's another part of the movie that bothers me is we don't really see a lot of what she's doing. Like, we get, like, little silhouettes and shadows and – you know, you might get a close up on a piece of flesh or something, but you're not real sure what part of the what part of the body it is. You know, we see extreme close ups of her sewing the face back together, um, but it's so close that all you can really see are maybe some teeth. 
Um, yeah, they definitely uh, the effects budget on this movie must not have been very high, or that, or that's just not the style of movie they were going for. They weren't going for a gore fest, even though. After watching this movie, I feel like it could have used a little bit more gore, especially in a world where they're kind of used to gore. I mean, think about the fact that in, in the span of this movie, V has watched three people get shot violently, you know, to the point where, like, the, the one cop, his brains are hanging out of his head on the ground, and she's looking at it like it's everyday life. Like, she's not she's not gasping. She's not, you know, freaked out. She's just looking at it like, yep, there's another dead body. Yet, despite that, we don't really see a lot of gore in the lab. And apparently, also, um, Chris's body isn't the only one that's been snagged. Apparently, uh, there is a uh, what the kids call the body snatcher, who is living you know, somewhere in the projects and who is basically taking dead bodies um, you know, from crime scenes and whatnot. And we, we never see her do that, even though it's pretty obvious that it is V. We never actually see her partake in that, which, again, that kind of bothers me because you're not really – you're showing the end results of her work, but you're not showing her get her hands dirty. Like, I want to see her drag those bodies because, I mean, this is a teenage girl, mind you, and she's dragging full-grown dead male bodies, you know, uh, and, and not getting caught either. I mean, it's not like she has a gurney or something, at least not that they ever show us, so – you know, we have to assume that she's literally dragging these bodies from the crime scene all the way back to her lab and somehow not getting caught. So, again, suspension of disbelief. Um, so, anyway, like I said, throughout the movie, we see her working in her lab. And then one day, um, you know, she, she goes to her lab. She, she's always looking around. She's always looking over her shoulder, making sure that people aren't following her to her lab. Uh, one day she goes to her lab and one of her friends, one of her neighborhood friends is there waiting for her and he wants to go in. And he knows that she's doing some fucked up shit in there, but because she keeps it locked up and she has the only key, nobody really knows other than the weird smell that's coming out of the room. Um, but it must not be strong enough for the whole neighborhood to smell it. You could probably only smell it when you're standing right next to the door. Anyway, she fucking decides to do that weird thing where people will tell the truth, but it sounds so over the top that the person they're talking to thinks they're, they're, they're being fucked with. So she literally tells the kid, oh, well, actually, I'm the body snatcher, and I've been taking mm -hmm. bodies, and I've been sewing them back together, and I'm going to try to bring it back to life. She literally tells him exactly what she's doing. But then, of course, you know, because he's a normal kid, he's like, ah, fuck it, whatever. You don't have to tell me. And he ends up leaving. He's the kid who actually ends up getting shot later by the police. I, I think she he's shot by the police. Um, yeah, that's the police what it sounds like. Right? Yeah, because the police... Are you, were, are you like, talking about when she heard it from, like, her bedroom? And, exactly, like, and she goes outside, and the yeah. cops are already there over his dead body. That, so, that, yeah, was another, that was another thing I kind of found interesting. So she's, like, stealing these, like, human bodies by herself and just dragging her lab. Exactly. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense, but... Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's one thing if you try to do it, but... How are you dragging these full-grown male bodies? You know, you're a girl of what, maybe 16, 17? I mean, she's still in high school. She hasn't graduated yet because she's still talking about uh, talking to the guidance counselor about colleges. So she's in high school. She's solidly in high school. Let's say at the absolute oldest, she's 17. 
And she's not a big girl, you know. She's not Venus Williams by any stretch. She's just an average size 17-year-old girl, but somehow she's dragging these bodies back to her lab, you know. And again, like I said, they don't show like a wheelbarrow or something that she might be using. It, 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 we just have to accept it. We have to accept that she's the body snatcher. She's been taking all these bodies and, you know, Obviously, as the movie viewer, we know what she's doing with the bodies, but nobody else really does. So anyway, back to the story. Um, after she you know, co- witnesses her friend get shot, she doesn't actually witness the shot, but she comes out of her house very soon after the shot goes off. She sees her friend lying on the ground. He's basically in the throes of death, and um, the paramedics put the uh, defibrillator on him. They, they charge him up a couple of times. You know, they, they spark him a couple of times. Um, he is able to come to twice. Like, literally, when they, when they hit the defibrillator, he actually comes to for, like, half a second, and he looks right at V, who's standing, you know, off to the side, but staring right at him. And he ends up staring back at her. They defibrillate him again. Uh, again, he kind of comes to for half a second, but then finally – he takes his last breath and, you know, has his death rattle and he's gone forever. And at that moment is where she she's like, oh, shit, electricity. I could potentially use electricity to reanimate my creature. And literally that night she comes up with – she put. I mean, like I said, this girl's a genius when it comes to, you know, science and mechanics because she puts together a device that's able to transfer power from a – a power station, like a generator station, you know, one of those small fenced-in areas. Um, she's able to put a unit on the fence right there, and then it's wirelessly co- connected to another unit in her lab. So she's basically able to transfer power from that fenced-in generator back to her lab. She ends up doing that, and, of course, you know, she ends up reanimating her uh, her monster with which if you haven't figured out by now, is indeed her brother, Chris, who was shot, you know, who was shot and killed by the gang members. Um, And, you know, she talks about, you know, the reason that I'm assuming the reason that this is called the angry black girl and her monster is because she does in one particular scene, you know, talk about just how fed up she is with the whole situation of the gangs and the drugs and the death and everything that surrounds her. (coughs) Excuse me. So she, you know, obviously she's trying to resurrect her brother Chris to try to help her father because her father isn't handling Chris's death. You know, it was his only son. And, you know, I don't have any kids, but for a man who only has one son, you know, to lose that child, it's got to be devastating. I mean, it's devastating regardless. But like I said, men, you know, we think differently. So, um, so anyway, she resurrects Chris. Of course, Chris is this hulking beast now with hands twice as big as they were when he was alive. Um, He actually, uh, Chris actually had some really cool dreadlocks in life. So that look actually I did like for the monster. Like once he was reanimated, this thing walking around with a hood on and these dreadlocks coming down from inside the hood. I thought that actually looked really cool. Very predator-like, if you will. Mildly predator-like anyway. So anyway, she reanimates Chris. Chris ends up attacking her because, of course, he's a reanimated corpse. He doesn't really know what's quite going on. Um, Somehow, 
he has the ability to scorch human flesh when he touches a person. So uh, the only thing I can figure is that he's got so much electricity coursing through his veins and his body that when he touches someone, it literally burns their flesh because he, he, he does it to multiple people in the movie. Um, he grabs V by the arm and that leaves a scorch mark on her, on her arm for pretty much the rest of the movie. When he tries to attack Jamal and tries to strangle him, he leaves, uh, you know, the, the char marks around his neck like he got burned, blah, blah, blah. So basically everybody that he's touching, you know, is basically is, their flesh is burning on the spots that he's touching. He ends up uh, – what ends up happening is that's when V has the idea of using Chris almost as like an avenging angel for her – Whereas it, it almost seemed like she was planning on using him as an assassin to get rid of Kango and Jamal and, you know, all the major gang members in the neighborhood. But on the first night, she decides, I'm just going to take their drugs. She knows where they stash their drugs. They stash them in a parked car slightly away from where they sell the drugs. So in case, you know, cops bust them, blah, blah, blah. Um, she has the monster kind of smash into the car and she then takes the bag of drugs, but then just as she's about to leave the scene, one of Kango's lieutenants shows up and is like, what the fuck are you doing? He recognizes V right away. It's a small neighborhood. Everybody knows each other. He recognizes V right away and says, what the fuck are you doing? And then the monster notices, you know, the gang member who is armed, of course, has a gun. Uh, he ends up shooting at Chris a couple of times. Obviously, Chris is a zombie now or, you know, whatever you want to call him, Frankenstein monster. Um, so the bullets have no effect on him. He ends up attacking. Uh, I think the guy's name is Curtis uh, is the first guy. Yeah, Curtis is the first guy that's attacked. Um he ends up not killing Curtis. He ends up sending him to the hospital. But before Curtis lost consciousness, he was able to tell Jamal that I was attacked by someone who was with V and I think they stole our drugs, blah, blah, blah. So uh, Kango, who's the leader, and Jamal, who I guess is like his you know, first lieutenant, his capo, if you will, um, basically can't prove that V took the drugs, but obviously – on on what Curtis said to them before he lost consciousness, they consciousness, uh, they believe that she has the drugs, so they go after her. She ends up not giving up the drugs, not telling them that she even took them. Basically, playing dumb. Um, she does kind of fuck up at one point though, because during her interrogation, um, you know, they ask her who's the guy that you were with. At first, she says, "I don't know." But then later in the interrogation, she fucks up and says, I don't know where he is or I don't know when he's going to show up again. And Kango's like, ah, all right, so there was somebody. So, you know, she's caught in a lie right there. At that point, Kango decides to make her work for him, um, not selling drugs, but actually like cutting up the bags of drugs, you know, mixing the cocaine with the uh, baby laxative and, you know, getting the crack prepared, blah, 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 blah. Um, she obviously doesn't want to do it because she's, you know, a good scholastic, you know, student. She she has a future ahead of her and doesn't really want to get involved in drugs. Unfortunately, Kango doesn't give her a choice because, you know, Kango has her father by the balls because he's the one selling the drugs to uh, V's father. And that's the only authority figure V has in her life. So Kango is like, yeah, basically you work for me or I, you know, I slit your throat with my machete. It's that simple. 
Um, she doesn't really want to do it, obviously, and doesn't show up the very first night that she's supposed to. But then, like, a day or two later, Jamal finally shows up at her house, drags her kicking and screaming back to Kango's, and she basically starts working. And then, you know, that night, she ends up leaving Kango's and literally going right back to her lab Right as Kango tells Jamal, uh, follow her, you know, you know, make sure, you know, you know what she's doing, blah, blah, blah. Actually, it wasn't Jamal the first time. It was Jamal the second time. It was somebody else that he sent to follow her the first night when she went back to the lab. Of course, she gets back to the lab and the lab is, has been broken into. The door is completely busted off. So obviously her monster is now out on the loose. But just as this person who's following her also arrives, um, the monster, Chris, uh, shows up and basically takes that guy out. So he's completely out. Um, the next day, she, her and her father are invited to a dinner at her aunt's house because uh, basically Chris uh, was engaged to be married to this girl. And um, he had gotten her pregnant. So she, this girl's pregnant. So the girl that was supposed to be with Chris is pregnant. She's about to have Chris's baby. So obviously the two families are still tight, even though, well, tight might be a stretch, but they're, you know, they still kind of congregate together. Um, they end up going out to dinner, not going out, but having dinner at the aunt's house, at Chris's family, uh, excuse me, not at Chris's family's house, at Chris's uh, baby mama's family's house, if you will. And, Basically, that night while she's there, Jada, her little cousin, basically says, I saw Chris. I talked to him. Obviously, V doesn't believe her because, you know, V is like, well, Chris is a monster. How the hell could this little girl have spoken to her? And then she even says, I even know where he's staying. And she points to the apartment next door, which has been abandoned. It's all boarded up and fucked up. And there's a hole in the wall um, peeking through into the next apartment. V ends up sneaking over there, trying to see if Chris, if she can find Chris, but Chris isn't there. She ends up looking through the peep hole, and then Jada looks back at her and says, did you find Chris? And she's like, nope, nope, he's not here. Mind you, V is taking this very well. The fact that this child just told her that I saw your Frankenstein monster, she's taking it very well. Like, she's not freaking out. She's just kind of trying to see what Jada knows and what she doesn't know. Um, eventually, uh, the next day or that night, she, she ends up, um, like I said, going over to that abandoned apartment while she's leaving the apartment. Uh, once again, Jamal finds her, grabs her and drags her back to Kango's place to do her work for the evening. Um, and once again, as soon as she leaves Kango's place again, she decides to go right back to that apartment where Chris potentially may be hiding. And of course, Jamal is following her that night. And so she ends up going back there. Um, Jamal ends up following her. Obviously, uh, you know, uh, Jamal ends up getting attacked by Chris. Um, Chris doesn't kill Jamal, but he does, you know, get those, you know, the char marks around his neck where he tried to strangle him. And at the same time, um, v took the bag of drugs that she had hidden and uh, took them home with her. That night, she's home trying to decide what to do with the bag of drugs, and Chris ends up showing up at her bedroom window. When she notices Chris at the window, she screams, blah, blah, blah. Her dad runs in. 
I'm sorry, folks. I got the hiccups. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, like I said, after she screams, her dad kind of runs in, says, is everything okay? She says, yeah, there was somebody at my window, but he's gone now. It's no big deal. Dad offers to go outside to check out the situation. She instantly tells him, no, 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 stay right here. There's no need to go outside. Um, you know, because she's worried that Chris, because at this point, Chris has attacked pretty much everyone that's been in, in his presence other than Jada. How Jada has survived not getting attacked is beyond me, but I, I guess he doesn't attack children. Um, let's see. So where are we at this point? At this point, uh, once again, uh, somehow V ends up back at Kango's place and she actually brings back the drugs. She actually decides to give the drugs back to him and says, here, here are the drugs. I found them. Now leave me and my family alone. I don't want to work for you, and I don't want you selling this shit to my father anymore. Um, while they're having their little back and forth, Jamal ends up getting a phone call from the hospital and letting them know that Curtis has just died. So Curtis is now dead. And earlier in the film, Jamal flat out said, if Curtis dies, I'm killing your ass. And he's saying this to V, like I said, who's a fucking teenager. So, obviously, they have <laughs> <Yeah>. no limitations <laughs> on who they're willing to kill. <laughs> yeah, as um, if she had, like, direct involvement in that, too. It's like, she's just a kid. What do you think she had to do with it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not like she strangled Curtis and sent him to the hospital. But, you know, Jamal's one of those guys that's going to believe – he's going to believe what he wants to believe. So, there you go. So, anyway, um, he ends up wanting to attack um, – V, but Kango stops him, and the reason Kango stops him is because that's when we find out that they're not actually at Kango's house. They're at Kango's grandmother's house because we actually see him um, caring for his grandmother who's maybe not quite bedridden, but she obviously doesn't get out of the house very often. Like I said, this is the first time we see her. So he's trying to get Jamal to shut up. He's like, you know literally you got to be quiet you know grandma's literally i mean he doesn't quite say this but you know obviously jamal knows why he's telling him to be quiet jamal just goes crazy he's just like fuck you i'm killing this girl you know she had something to do with curtis getting killed i don't even give a fuck i'm taking her out kango actually comes to v's kind of assistance and tries to stop jamal and says no we ain't killing her you know we still don't know 100% what's going on. Jamal gets upset that, that Kango is now defending V. And fucking Jamal pulls, pulls a, a, what, a Friday the 13th Part 2 on Kango and buries his machete right into his shoulder. Same shoulder that Jason had the machete buried into his shoulder. Um, just a really gnarly little machete attack. V is able to get out of the house, you know, while Jamal and Kango are kind of, you know, struggling to fight. Eventually, she ends up going home. V ends up going home. And unfortunately, uh, her father ended up finding Chris in the house. And Chris pretty much attacked him right away. Uh, it, it wasn't quite right away. It, it seemed like Chris maybe did recognize his father briefly. But after that brief moment, he just ends up attacking his father anyway and killing him, leaving the charred flesh marks around his neck once again. So when V comes home, the first thing she finds is her father, literally her last family member, uh, dead on the floor. She starts to freak out. She starts screaming. At that exact moment, we hear the front door open, and she thinks, oh, shit, Chris is back. 
but then the camera pans around the corner and we see that it's Jamal still with his machete in his hand, um, basically still looking for V. He goes to attack V and just as he's literally has the machete reared up and is going to bring it down on V, fucking Kango shows up and saves the day of all people. He's able to stop Jamal long enough so that eventually Chris does show up. And then Chris uh, ends up getting the upper hand on Jamal. He ends up disarming him, taking his machete away, and burying it in his mouth. He basically gives him a Glasgow smile, uh, you know, the Joker smile, as uh, as uh, you know, as we know that that scar, the smiley scar, basically buries the machete into his mouth and pushes down onto his head. I thought he was going to go all the way and just you know do the complete decapitation, but no. Again, this isn't that movie. Um, he kind of stops short, you know, just past the cheeks. Uh, Jamal does end up keeling over dead from, I'm assuming, from loss of blood. And and basically the machete just stays right there in his face for the rest of the movie. Every time we see Jamal, the machete is stuck there. At this point, Chris then attacks uh, Kango. And mind you, Kango has his shoulder just torn open from that machete attack. And he's somehow still able to struggle and keep Chris at bay. Eventually, they're able to get into one of the side rooms and close the door. And they're trying, basically, they're both trying to figure out, okay, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? Um, Which is an interesting dichotomy to actually see Kango being, I don't want to say on the side of good, but he's helping V. He's trying to help her out and, you know, take care of this Frankenstein monster situation that she got herself into. Um, she decides, wait a minute, if I brought him back to life with electricity, maybe an even bigger burst of electricity could potentially kill him. But she says, I need those two, you know, pieces of machinery that I made, you know, the one that gets attached to the power station generator and then the one that gets attached wirelessly to the lab. One is in her ha- one is in her room right there in her house where they are currently. The other one is still at the lab. Um, and the one at the lab is the one that she needs to put at the power station. The one that is at the house is the one that she needs in the lab. So, uh, basically she goes, she runs out the bedroom window and goes to the lab directly. Kango then goes up to her room to find the piece of machinery that she's looking for. Uh, she describes it to him and he's able to get up there and grab it. Uh, she is then able to get to the lab and, you know, get the, uh, the one part that she needs. Unfortunately, just as she's trying about to leave the lab, she gets a knock at the door, like a knock at the lab door, like a big menacing lock, a knock, excuse me. Uh, She opens the little sliding window to see who's outside and there's no one there for a second. But then Kango's face gets slammed into the fucking door, right into the opening. And it looks like it's covered in glass, like there's broken glass all in it. Um, you know, we don't see the actual monster at this point. Uh, we just see Chris's head get slammed into the door. She then opens the door again, like a fucking absolute genius. <laughs> she opens the door. And luckily, Chris is gone already, uh, again, I should say. And she, she she sees Kango's body, and she sees that, you know, he's got glass all up in his face, and he's dead. He's deader than shit. And she actually has kind of an emotional moment right there. Like, she actually is taken aback, and she's kind of staring at Kango's body. I don't know if, you know, maybe because Kango was like the uh, – 
the authority figure of the neighborhood, maybe seeing him dead on the ground was, you know, kind of shocking or jarring or whatever. But, yeah, she actually does take a moment and kind of stares at his dead body. Eventually, she is able to get uh, the one part back to the power station and get that hooked up. Then she gets back to the lab with the other part, sets that up, and then she sets up a trap for Chris where uh, the little gurney stand, the adjustable stand that she had him on, when she when she first brought him to life, she basically has that set up right at the front door. So as soon as Chris walks in the front door, the first thing he's going to run into is the gurney. And it seems like the plan actually works pretty well because Chris does exactly what she expects. He walks in the door and he walks right into the gurney and she hits the power button and she fries the shit out of him, um, you know, again for the second time. And this time it seems like he's going to stay down. And I think I think he kind of does, right? I don't, does he get up again, or was that the end of it? I think I think that was it. I think he stays down after that power attack, that second power attack. Um, yeah. At that point, he, yeah, that's right. Because it was it was after they ask him what his name is, and he says monster, right? Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah. it's after that. Um, so as she basically, as Chris dies permanently now, he's on the ground. Jada was there the whole time. Jada was in the lab. And this is where we get, and I call this the Dexter season four ending, where um, Jada basically uh, walks up to um, to V and says, well, can you bring my family back now? And Jada's like, what? What are you talking about? As it turns out, the monster had already visited Jada's family and killed everyone. It killed his baby mama, his unborn child, uh, the aunt, um, everybody who was at that dinner party that day. Not counting the dad, because the dad died at his house. Uh, V's dad died at his house. But, yeah, everybody else in um, the in-law's family are all dead on the ground. She starts – basically, V starts to cry, Um Jada's like, well, you can bring him back, can't you? You did it with Chris. You can bring him back. And she's like, no. And I'm actually applauding V at this point. I'm like, yes, don't do it. Tell this little girl, no, I can't do it because they're just going to come back like Chris. But then she has her Lewis Creed moment where Jada says, but they just died. They're still fresh. Uh, this is what I mean about Jada being a little bit too intelligent and cryptic for her own good. This girl is like a 10-year-old girl, and she's like, well, you can bring them back because they're fresh. And then V, actually, you can see the gears in her head start to turn, and she's like, oh, yeah, they're fresh. I might be able to actually do something. So what she ends up doing is she ends up taking the body of her aunt, or not her aunt, but uh, her you know cousin-in-law or sister-in-law, sister-in-law, that's the proper term. Um, the pregnant girl. She basically takes the pregnant girl back to her lab and tries the experiment again, does the electricity, um, shuts it off, and then waits for a couple of seconds. And lo and behold, she fucking wakes up. She wakes up and she's speaking. And literally, V is like, what's your name? You have to, what is your name? Tell me what your name is. And the girl says correctly what her name is, that, you know, she's about to have Chris's baby. And then instantly she's like, my baby's still alive. Like she can still feel her baby kicking. And, and literally um, the the sister-in-law looks at V and says, so where's everybody else? And then the movie ends with V looking at her and saying, oh, they'll be here soon. 
And that's it. A Frankenstein movie with somewhat of a happy ending. I'm kind of surprised. She's going to raise her undead hood. <laughs> yeah, it is odd that, you know, unlike Pet Cemetery, you know, with Creed thinking that his wife's body was fresh and that she would come back better. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, you know, she has the same idea, but it actually works this time. Go figure. Yeah, it's almost like an open-ended, like, are they trying to make it seem hopeful? Because when she wakes back up, she seems pretty normal. But what we don't get is, like, the aftermath. It's like, but is there something about coming back to life after death that will actually end up making her sinister? Or did she cure the disease of death? You know, it's like... Right. I, it it almost alludes... said, it, yeah. Yeah, it's not... 100% for certain, only because we only get that very brief moment at the end of her waking up, so it's hard to say for sure. Like, is there an, an innate um, sinister streak to anyone that comes back from the dead, or is it because her first experiment was on, like, you know, basically like a Frankenstein gangster almost, you know? Yeah, exactly. She started with a gangster, and she added gangster parts to it. <laughs> I guess you can't be too exactly. surprised that she created a killing machine, you know? Yeah. But yeah, there you go. The most subdued Frankenstein movie I've ever seen. And like I said, my walkthrough didn't do the movie justice. When I say that the majority of this movie is spent with the human characters and the gangs and the drug dealers and everything, I am legitimate. Like three quarters of the movie is just all ghetto and housing project, like drama. It, it, you know, the Frank, like I said, uh, as I said earlier, and, and I still feel this way, it, it feels like the Frankenstein part of this movie is the B story. And the A story is just the horrors of living in the ghetto, you know, uh, living as a poor person, you know, trying to get by in a world, you know, not meant for them to succeed, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, like I said, not a bad movie. Like, there's nothing that I can put my finger on and say, oh, this was bad or that was bad. It's just one of those things where I just wish it was a little more. I wish it was a little bit more, you know, in solidly in the horror genre. I wish there was a little bit more gore, maybe a little bit more with her creating the monster. Because like Mike said earlier, the creation of Chris is like in the first act. It's like we don't spend a lot of time with her in the lab doing mad scientist stuff, which is kind of what we want to see in a Frankenstein movie. We want to see the body snatching, the, the the reconnection of body parts, you know, blah, 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 all the different surgeries that have to be done. They definitely went with more of a uh, gritty crime drama feel with this one, which, like I said, for some people won't be a bad thing. I can see a lot of people really loving this movie. Um, but just for me, it was just, you know, it could have been a little more, that's all. Minor complaining. Yeah. Yeah, same no here. Real disagreement from me. Yeah, like I said, I I was wanting it to be more, and it just turned into a drama fantasy thing yeah. about about what was going on, and yeah, I was just losing interest with it. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Cool. All right. Well, that's gonna wrap up this episode um but let's find out where else we can hear everybody so venom i'll throw it right back to you all right so as i mentioned on the last episode we did go ahead and record 
Uh, Creature Comforts, episode 18, I think. Are we on 18? It's 17 or 18. Close enough. It's one of those. Close enough. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, Where we did uh, go ahead and look at the latest creature feature release uh, from Thailand called The Lake. I know it's one that a lot of people have been talking about. We finally got a chance to check that out and talk about it. Uh, That episode probably won't be out till late this week, early next week, as I'm kind of busy this week. So my my editing time is going to be fairly limited, but it should be out at the latest uh, a week from today. So look out for that. And then that's pretty much it as far as any movement goes on our shows. Um, The main show, episode 53, should be getting recorded in the next week or so. And um, same thing with all our other shows, Crystal Lake Gift Shop. Hopefully you'll get something going soon enough. And obviously you can always count on fresh cuts for an episode every week. So, yeah, pretty much still still kind of recovering from my flu. So haven't podcasted as much lately, but that'll change soon with the summer. All right, uh, let's go over to Don. What do you got, Don? Uh, yeah, so uh, as mentioned, we have uh, Creature Comforts, which uh, was a fun time. Uh, it should be out soon. Still waiting on the Eternal, uh, you know, Stu World Order show with uh, Red 2 and Road to Nowhere with a uh, triple bill of Fulci. I uh, have recorded uh, two guest commentaries, uh, one with NFW where we start our Shark Week episodes, um, although we didn't technically do Shark Movie this time, it was a memorial for Treat Williams with, as you guessed, uh, Deep Rising, and uh, I also did a uh, guest file with Lacey for uh, the House of Wax remake with uh, Nudie as well. So that one, both those were a lot of fun. Should be out uh, hopefully sooner than uh, my previous recorded guest spots. But um, yeah, other than that, uh, the only other thing is uh, the latest episode of the Horror Countdown, where I ended up talking with uh, production designer uh, Mick Strawn about uh, his work and career where we look back at uh, 10 of our favorite films of his, which uh, was pretty fun. It's an unconventional one where uh, we weren't so much uh, counting down our favorites. It was more, these are my favorites. Tell me a funny story about what happened on the set of each one. So uh, if you want some behind-the-scenes uh you know, stories about all of the films that he's worked on, uh, I guess that's your uh, show. So uh, it's not the two-and-a-half-hour behemoth that the last episode was. But, uh, yeah, hopefully it'll be uh, a fun time, and uh, you'll get to know something about some of the stuff he's worked on. So, uh, yeah, I guess, uh, like I said, just waiting on uh, the recorded episodes I have to uh, come for me. All right. Uh, as far as I go, I know I brought it up, but finally it's been posted, and I spoke with Lacey, so she's going to be doing the official post for it tomorrow, which will be a Tuesday morning, but it's already actually up to listen to if you have like Spotify or whatever other podcasting listening apps, and that would be my guest spot on Slumber Party Massacre, where we talked about uh, franchise sequels that jumped the shark. So check that out. It was a really fun episode. And now that it's finally out, I can stop mentioning it at every show that it might be out. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that. Yeah, I wish that. I had your luck. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, other than that, uh, we'll be looking to schedule our other stuff soon. Uh, let's see. Crystal Lake Gift Shop 
that's probably I would assume that, that that's the easiest one to schedule, uh, yeah. the least amount of prep, and um, it d- doesn't take a long time to even record those episodes. So uh, we'll get on that, and then I was actually thinking like right at the beginning of recording this, I was like, oh, I need to go hit up the No More Room and Hell thread just to see what everyone's thoughts are on our next uh, like our next good date for that. But other than that, yeah, that's it for me. Uh, as far as Fresh Cuts goes, I think we have, uh, is next week, do we hit July next week? Yeah, next yeah, week. No, is, uh, actually, not not till the weekend. So some, I don't know if something opens up on June 30th. No. Do you know? No, nothing opens mm, June no. 30th. We, no, I think the next one off. is next Friday. That's uh, Sidious 2. Sidious 5, sorry. Five. Yeah. <laughs> Wow, five. I I would have never thought we'd have five Insidious films, but we do. So, yeah, that I would be the next have five films. I thought we'd have five <laughs> Conjuring films before Insidious. That's valid, Probably. yes. Yeah, I, I, I but definitely... The, the Conjuring yeah. universe is, is way more expanded, though. I mean, they've got all the side movies yeah. that keep coming out. I think yeah, The Nun 2 I, is the next one. The Nun 2, yeah. Yeah, I'm saying, I mean... Three Annabelles, two nuns, <laughs> partridge in a pear tree. <laughs> um, what's uh, the other one? Crooked yeah. Man, that one fall through or which one? Crooked Man? Uh, I don't know. I'm saying, did that one fall through or? I don't know. Uh, I, I never heard. I, of I haven't heard through. of anything on that. Yeah. yeah. That's weird. Mm. <laughs> But anyways, yeah, we'll look for something on VOD. Yeah, we've had plenty of stuff release recently, and there's probably going to be more stuff releasing this week. That's just how it goes on VOD. So we will figure something out and get another episode of Fresh Cuts out next week. So until then, thank you, everybody, for listening to the show. We will catch you next time. Let's say bye to our listeners. Later. Don't do drugs, kids. Don't steal bodies to bring them back to life, please. <laughs> Leave them dead. So I guess sometimes dead is better still holds true, even through oh. non-pet cemetery movies. <laughs> Peace.